Okay, so we are continuing our exposition of the book of Romans. Today we are in Romans chapter 11, beginning with verse 21. If you are able, please rise for the reading of God's word. The authoritative word of God reads as follows. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity for those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even if they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild tree, and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father in heaven, may your name be glorified this morning as we are reminded that, Lord, we don't need a special emotion. We do not need an additional revelation. We do not need a special dream for your word is right before our eyes. So therefore, may you be worshipped, Lord, as we marvel at the wisdom of your word, that we may be humbled by your infinite wisdom. So Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit give us and grants us this understanding. We ask this in the very name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Sermon title for today, A Word to the Gentiles, Part 3. Paul continues addressing the Gentiles within the congregation at Rome. And for this title, I think a subtitle of this section would be, Be Grateful and Do Not Neglect Your Sanctification. This is a message for the believers in the Church of Rome. Last time we saw how Paul encouraged the Gentiles by assuring them that in fact they had been grafted in. They had been adopted into God's family. And Paul used this analogy of two trees, a wild, weak, olive tree, fruitless, versus a healthy nourished, fat, life-giving olive tree. Within that olive tree that represents the people of God, there is Israel's remnant, the true Israel. It is part of Israel, but not all of Israel. For the true children of Israel are those according not to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, those that have had the faith of Abraham. So while Paul makes it clear to the Gentiles that they are in fact grafted in, the exhortation he's expanding upon is, take heed, be watchful. Do not grow comfortable in your calling. Do not neglect your walk. Do not think that you're better than those Jewish branches that were cut off. And in short, he says, because you were not grafted in, because you were any better than them but because of the faith and grace that God has granted them. So we're going to recap the main concepts here. Pull it up here on the slide. What did the nourished olive tree represent? It's the people of God. 
What do the broken branches represent? That is unbelieving Israel. And then lastly, what about those branches that were grafted in? Those are the believing Gentiles. Okay? Now, let us be reminded of the first application here that we covered last time, but nevertheless, it's worth being emphasized. Again, any true Christian today cannot, my brother and sister, if you are a believer in Christ, you cannot take credit for your salvation. If you are in any way, shape, or form trying to take credit for something that you did, that is, at best, a misunderstanding of your salvation, and at worst, you're actually not saved. Not being able to take credit for our salvation is something that is true now, and it has been true since God has shown favor to all his people. Going back to Adam, all through Father Abraham and on. It is by God's grace. So today, Paul continues addressing the Gentiles specifically. We'll explore how this issue is something that Paul takes very sternly. A warning to the Gentile audience, insisting that they have nothing to boast about before God. So today's main point will be as follows. God shows kindness to those that are in Christ. And God shows severity to those that are outside of Christ. Okay? There's a dividing line. There are those who by faith in Christ are grafted into God's olive tree. And those who knowingly rejected God's plan of salvation are left out. <clears throat> Although no one will be found with a valid excuse for rejecting Christ, for sure the people that Paul is addressing will be left without excuse. For sure. And that can be said about all of us in this room. There will be no room to claim ignorance when God's judgment on us strikes. So we will analyze today's passage with the following points. First, we're going to see the warning to the Gentiles. Not only to them at that time, but also to you and me. Secondly, we're going to see the severity and the kindness of God. What does that exactly mean? And is there any room for anybody to raise their hand and say, well, wait a minute, that's not fair. Well, take a look at that claim. And thirdly, there is hope for the hopeless. There is hope for unbelieving Israel. And if there is hope for unbelieving Israel, there's also hope for everybody else. Right, let's tackle the first header. Warning to the Gentiles, as Romans 11, 21. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. So remember, Paul has explained in the previous passage that visualizing God's people being an olive tree, that is, the branches that were nourished, the unbelieving Jews were, however, cut off from that tree because they did not believe. So Paul is saying to the Gentiles, look at the Jews who were naturally within the Jewish people. They were cut off. That is severe. Okay? They were cut off. It was not an empty threat. God cut them off. Now, why were they cut off? Because they were bad people? Well, they were bad people, but that, that's not why they were cut off. Matter of fact, the Gentiles were 
not, not any better than them. They were not morally superior to the Jews. So then that, that wasn't it, because they were bad people? Not really. So why? Because they didn't have enough religious activity? No. The contrary. They were very devout religious people, dedicated to their Jewish religiosity that consumed the entirety of their lives. So if it was not because they were not religious enough, if it was not because they were bad people, then why was it? Why were they cut off? Let's take a quick look at Isaiah 20, 29, verse 13. As I informed some of the brothers, and I think I mentioned last time, I'm going through the book of Isaiah on my own time, so a lot of the quotes I'm grabbing from Isaiah because they're very applicable. Isaiah 29, 13 reads, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. The Lord Jesus quoted this scripture himself. So God says, those were cut off. They spoke about me. They had a confession of faith. It was audible. They had an intellectual exercise that they went through. But there was no true faith. There, were, there was no true repentance of sin. There was belief. But that belief was trust in self. Trust in a system. Trust in something or someone other than the only true and living God and His provision for salvation. So this is why Paul mentioned in verse 20 that we covered last week that they were broken off because of their unbelief. Unbelief, ultimately... The Jewish people and everybody else, they behave according to what they actually believe, not what they don't believe. That is true of you, that is true of me. In the entirety of our life, in the privacy of our life, we think, we act, we do, we say, we behave according to what we actually believe. And what did the Jewish people actually believe? They believed they could save themselves. So the question for us is, does our lifestyle match the profession of faith that we have? Do we actually believe? Our brothers and sisters, do you have a proclamation of faith? Herein lies the warning then. What is your faith in? Is it truly faith in Christ and Christ alone? Or is it an audible faith? Is it faith that is proclaimed with the lips, but your hearts are far from obedience and the love of Christ? May we not be caught in this warning that Paul is giving. Being people who say, who affirm the right things, but our affections for Christ are lukewarm at best. The test of our affection for Christ then is a test of how Paul says, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. An attitude that can be a sign of whether we have true faith in Christ is how is your gratefulness meter this morning? That could be a good indicator. A heart of humble Gratitude is a sign 
is the characteristic of a person who does have genuine faith. Are you thankful? So then back to the case of the branches that were cut off. They were cut off because of their unbelief. Their unbelief includes pride, self-righteousness, hardness of heart. And they act out and live according to that unbelief. Unbelief in the Savior. But they believe in other things, and that's how they live according to it. So then Paul then is saying to the Gentiles, you saw the unbelieving Jews got cut off. It wasn't a game. They actually got cut off. And the Gentiles saw that. They're gone. So then Paul urges them, take heed, be watchful. Because if God did not spare the Jewish people that were cut off from unbelief, they were physical descendants of Israel, he will not, he will not give you a pass. No such thing as a get out of hell card, if you will, for the unbeliever, whether they are Jew or Gentile. Which leads us to the second header, the severity and the kindness of God. Romans 11.22 reads, Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. So as we look at what the kindness and the severity of God entail, even within that, there's the reiteration of the warning. Otherwise, you will too be cut off. Let us speak about God's kindness. We often talk about the consequences of sin, our need for repentance. But we must not neglect that God is very kind. The word here is the quality of being warm-hearted, considerate, humane, gentle, patient, long-suffering. This kindness, Paul is saying, has been shown to the Gentiles that were grafted in. What can we see about the kindness of God? It's all over scripture, but we'll choose at least two verses here, two passages. Titus chapter 3, after Paul describes the utter ruined condition of a people prior to being reached by God. Being enslaved to sinful pleasures and vices, then Paul says the following. Chapter 3 of Titus, verses 4 and 5. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So we can see then that God's kindness comes to a sinner at their worst. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit. On our best day, we are not good enough for God. We'll never be. And yet, on our worst day, is when the Lord will have mercy on us, reach us, grab us, save us. That is the kindness of God. God's grace, as we catechize our kids, is God's kindness to the undeserving. Otherwise, it's not grace. Romans 2.4, what about God's kindness? It says, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to 
leads you to repentance. Often people say, well, don't try to scare me to hell. I'm not trying to scare you, want to help. Look at God's kindness in your life. That should draw you to him. God is enduring and patient with a rebellious sinner, not being fast to judgment, but rather showing a day of kindness. After that, a week of kindness. Not that a month, years of kindness. And most of the people, what do they do? They act just like the people of Israel. Stiff-necked, rebellious, stubborn. So my friends, what does this mean for us? Is it not true that in many of our lives, we know that we are living in disobedience, either at a wide spectrum of things or in a specific sin that we keep committing. We know we should be living better. We know that we should repent from those sins or that sin. Has God not shown us kindness? He's going to wipe you out. And yet, that kindness, that patience, that long-suffering of God should lead you to surrender, to confess, to repent, to follow your face in repentance and thanksgiving for God's mercy, saving you, that He'll cleanse you and forgive you of your sins by trusting in Christ. That is God's kindness. That is an offer that is extended day after week, after months, after years. And isn't it the reality, if we are honest, that it's very easy for us to think something like this. Well, I've gotten away with this for so long. I'm going to be fine. I'll just keep living this way. Keep living in lust and fits of anger and unsubmissiveness. Whatever it is. I've been doing it long enough. I mean, yeah, sure, there's struggles here and there, but I'll be fine. Brothers and sisters, God says, no, this is your chance to come clean and repent before him. Galatians 6, 7 says this, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So Paul is urging the Gentiles, take note of that. God has shown you mercy and kindness. Well, he has shown severity. To the, to the Jewish nation. And that is where we note the other extreme. While Pi has shown, has told them that they've been shown kindness to others, he has shown severity. So what is severity? Severity here is meant that there is a very harsh consequence. Something that you think is not going to be too much of a big deal, and then when you're confronted with it, you are shocked at how harsh that is. There was a time when I was, I think, a little bit younger than my son. I was five years old. Kids, listen up. I was about five years old. We were living in Mexico, and my mother had a, a hair clip, like the old school ones that are just made out of metal, wire. And I took that from her hair because I like playing with her hair. And as I was fidgeting with that, it occurred to me that it would be a good idea 
to try to stick that to the electrical socket. Now, my mother saw me when I first attempted to do it, and obviously it was closed, so I couldn't get it in, in both holes. And my mother told me, no, she took it away from me, put it away. I saw where she put it away, so when she turned around and got busy, I went and grabbed it, I now opened it, and I went and shoved that to the electrical socket. That was a harsh reality where I thought it would have been no big deal. To this day, I remember my body just becoming so shocked, literally, that my vision went out for a couple seconds. Harsh. Where someone thinks that it's not going to be that much of a big deal, and oh boy, are you confronted with the reality of what actually is happening. Let us be clear then in understanding this truth, my brothers and sisters. When God's severity hits, it will hit. And when it does happen, when God declares a verdict on a person, either guilty or innocent, saved or condemned, there are only two verdicts possible. Some have been given grace and mercy. That is, the penalty has been paid. The rest, the vast majority, will receive justice. They get to pay for their own eternal fine. The key here is nobody, hear me out, nobody gets injustice. Nobody. With God, you'll either get grace and mercy, or you will get justice. It is then in this judgment of God that there will never be a mistrial, nor an appeal, nor a go-back. God's judgment is perfect and righteous. Think of this. God warned Moses not to sin in a particular way. Moses disobeyed. Consequence, God didn't let Moses into the promised land. Now, more generally, as a nation, God warned his people over and over and over that if they forsook him, he would judge them. Did God spare his own physical nation? No. He actually used nations that were even more wicked than they were to discipline them. The severity of God. So Paul's exhortation here to the Gentiles then is pointing out once again that if the unbelieving Jews, the unfaithful Jews were cut off, we give the two examples of the nation as a whole, we give the example of Moses. If God didn't spare them and they were confronted with that harsh severity, do you think you'll get it past? Gentiles? Brothers, sisters here? Me? way. Let us not get to the place of being struck with the harsh reality. And you know what? Some of us have been struck with the harsh reality of the consequence of our sin. And that should drag us back into line to repent and get back into the fold of God. Now thirdly, there is hope for the hopeless. Verses 23 and 24 read as follow. 
And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and grafted according, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Okay, so Paul is coming around and kind of looping in that analogy. There were branches cut off. Unbelief. And he's saying, they're still alive. There's a chance that they will repent and believe. And they will be grafted back in. Now note, this hope that is offered there, because of the visual analogy that Paul gives, this is not as though the Jews were believers and then they were unbelievers. No. Bible does not teach such thing. Like you were saved and then you fell and now you're unsaved. No. Somebody falls, never comes back, they never were saved. That's not what it means. Remember, the Jews were cut off in the sense that although they all were descendants of Abraham according to the flesh, only some of them were part of God's remnant, meaning only a small portion of them were true believers in God. Only a small portion of them. All Jews were not trusting in Christ that were part of that descendancy that were cut off. And that's why the olive tree ultimately is only God's people. So when it refers to they'll be grafted back in, is in the sense that they were, or they are, descendants physically of Israel. So now they will be fully realized Israelites in the entirety of that meaning being God's people. So then, what was the hope then that they had? The hope is this. That any non-believing Jew can become part of God's people simply by believing. Not by keeping the rules, not by trying to keep the commandments, establishing their own righteousness, not submitting to the righteousness of God. No. By believing. <coughs> trusting in the finished work of Christ. Mainly that they cannot keep God's law. But there has been someone sent, the one prophesied in the Old Testament, that will be born of a virgin, live the perfect life they cannot live, die the death they deserve because they cannot keep up with God's commandments. And that the Savior, Jesus, defeated death by being buried and raised, being risen from the dead on the third day. By trusting in that, they would be saved, believing. And my brothers and sisters, that same hope, that same hope that the unbelieving Israelites had and have today applies to you and to me. If you're still alive, you're not far off from becoming part of God's family. How? The exact same way. The Jews will be put back by believing. It's the same way. You will be put into God's olive tree by trusting in Christ, by believing the gospel. It was true then, it is true today. Anyone, Jew or Gentile, can be part, be part of God's family by simply believing in the Savior that He has sent. So then, let us look at a scripture again from Isaiah of this hope of God's kindness, of God's hope offered to all who would trust in Him. 
Isaiah 30, verse 18 says the following. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is the God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. This is God's love. This is God's kindness. This is God's hope offered to the rebellious, to the hardened of heart. This is the patience of a loving God who has zero obligation to reach out to you and yet pursues you. God reaches those who are least likely to be rescued. Those who seem to be the most lost and off. And this is why Paul reminds us in Romans 5, 8, a few chapters earlier, with this, it says, But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It is not what you were doing all right, and now finally checking all the boxes. Nope. On your worst day, it's when God saves us. So then Paul takes this logical argument in verse 24 that if the Gentiles were grafted in, being from a wild olive tree, unnatural to be grafted in, if that happened for them, how much more will it be easy for the natural branches to be grafted back into the tree that they were cut off from? The truth revealed in their own scriptures the message brought by their own prophets, the promises made in their own writings by their own God, how much more natural will that be? Paul says, it can happen. And that call is not only for them, but to us as well. So what is the final reflection then for today? I have one here. And is this, God has extended kindness to you today. Oh, yes, he has. If you're a Christian, this should be a reminder, an encouragement to lead you to gratitude, to repentance, to obedience. Repent for being lukewarm. Else, in the long run, you'll reveal that you're actually cut off. You've never been a Christian. As Paul says, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Be alert. Fall upon the mercy of God and His kindness towards you. God has shown you kindness in providing a Savior for you. Now what about for those branches that are right now not in God's tree? Well, God has shown you kindness too. If you're outside of God's family, if you are alive today, you are only alive because God has granted that to you. You are breathing God's air. The body that you move, the mind that you think with, the heart that beats within you, it's not yours, it's God's. And he holds that in his hand. It could go off any second. As many of us may have experienced near-life death experiences, that's reality flashing before your eyes when that happens. God is in control of that. He could take that away and said. He's shown you kindness because he tells you that that kindness should lead you to repentance. 
As Romans 2 said earlier, do not presume that that kindness is going to be there for you day after day after week after month after year after day. My brother, my sister, my friend, that's going to end one day and the severity of God will come crushing you into eternal damnation. So then, be watchful. Be aware that God's kindness has been extended to you. May the Holy Spirit convict you to turn to Him, to surrender by trusting in the righteousness of Christ and not on your own. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for you have once again revealed to us your goodness, your kindness, your mercy. And yes, Lord, even along with that, the fact that the warnings in the scriptures are not empty threats, as we saw how you have dealt with the own nation of Israel in the severity, the consequence of unbelief, of rejecting Christ as the only Savior. As we think about these things, Lord, may you be gracious, may your Holy Spirit grant us the understanding of these truths, so that these truths may change our minds, our hearts, our characters, our daily lifestyle. And that these things would not be foolishness to us, but that they would be the very words of salvation. Draw us near to you this morning, Lord, and grant us repentance. 